You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He's on! So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah, it is time for a little A's Cast Live here. And, Cody, I apologize. You know what I forgot to do as I've been trying to find coffee? Uh, Retweet the tweet. I forgot to retweet about the show, which I will do right now. Why am I going to do that? Because we've got an absolute great show for you today. We're going to have Roxy Bernstein, as Roxy is finally going to be doing Game of the Week on ESPN tomorrow. It's Brewers and Dodgers. That's correct, and it's unfortunate because it's supposed to be Dustin May versus Corbin Burns, but Corbin Burns was placed on the uh, injured list today for an unspecific reason. Burns of the 49 strikeouts and zero walks to start the 2021 season. So, Roxy will be calling that game. The Brewers uh, Brewers look good so far going up against the Dodgers. They won last night. All right. I am really excited about uh, one guest today. Not that I'm not excited about Roxy Bernstein at 415 or David Forrest at 5 o'clock. But at 430, we're going to have former big league pitcher who has an unbelievable story. Ben McDonald, you remember the big right-hander for the Orioles back in the day? Well, as I was a high school, I was a high school baseball player. This guy was becoming one of the first college baseball stars, and since I wanted to play college baseball so bad, I watched as much as whenever it was on TV, I'd watch it. And Ben McDonald was the man. He. I think he carried LSU to three different College World Series. He won the Golden Spikes Award, which is awarded to the best player in college baseball. He was the number one overall pick by by the uh, Orioles. And he helped the United States win gold in in, uh, Olympic baseball in Seoul back in 1988. So you're kind of a big deal coming out of college, right? You're on ESPN all the time. You're winning a gold medal. You're going to the College World Series. And you win the Golden Spikes Award. And that's all before you ever get into the big leagues. And we will ask him about the story that's out there. That Cal Ripken Jr. used to call his pitches from shortstop. Uh, He is going to confirm the story, and it's fabulous. And not to disappoint... He's got an unbelievable Bob Melvin story because Bob Melvin was on the Orioles when he showed up. Bob helped him with something that he still does today. That will be my tease of why you need to listen to Ben McDonald at 430. So it's Roxy at 415, Ben McDonald at 430, 
and then David Forrest at 5 o'clock. And I can't wait to – I don't know if it will be my first question to him, but I'm going to say, David, I want you to I, – I want you to know what exactly I was thinking about when Ramon Laureano got thrown out at third yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's the first person you think I thought of when Ramon Laureano – Got cut. I mean, you're already on. You're already in scoring position, and he tries to steal second base. I mean, excuse me, tries to steal third base. And let me tell you, it did not go well. What inning was that in? Uh, it was in the third inning with Jed Lowry at the plate. Yeah, it wasn't the outcome we were looking for. But remember, this is what Moneyball told us. Another thing, no more stealing. That's what I do. That's what you pay me to do. No, I pay you to get on first, and I get thrown out of second. So to see Ramon get thrown out, I mean, the A's still have 18 stolen bases on the year, which is impressive. Now, the Padres are already over 30 when the A's were leading them, and it was like 18 to 17. The Padres are well over 30 now if I, when I last looked. Uh, but that's what they do. But you can't, you can't hide the success that the A's have had running the bases, and uh, I want to see if they can get it going again against the Orioles and John Means because Means isn't that quick to the plate. I mean, he's pretty deceptive, but uh, – he he looked really really good against the A's when he pitched his last start his last start, which was last weekend. So maybe they get the game the running game going in because uh, it's been a while since we've seen a stolen base. Well, let me tell you, looking at the game notes and just highlighting key things that we can use today and also for uh, A's total access coming up here. What time's the game tonight? We have six five forty. So five forty. A's pitching has a two point three five ERA. Over the last 13 games, the you know that 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 that's fabulous. Your whole staff is getting it done. How about the bullpen? The bullpen has compiled a 1.80 ERA and a opponent's batting average of only 199 over the last 15 games. Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson's bullpen have been getting it done. There is no question about that. And by the way, in that time, how many home runs do you think they're, they've given up? I'm going to just throw a number out there and go five. They've only given up two. Oh, so I want, to, I want a bit high. I mean, it's just, you know, the way, that, the way this season has turned around and the comeback for the athletics has been unreal. And tonight on the mound is the guy that, you know, you knew it wasn't going to be long before Mike Fires was not starting a game. Fires for his career, 26-9 as an athletic, 14-5 at the Coliseum. Let's hear a little Bob Melvin on Fires returning to the rotation. We want to start him. We're in a 17-game stretch, and he's a starter. So, I mean, I, you know, it, it wasn't a great fit for him to be in the bullpen, and we'll get him back doing what he normally does. Now, does that mean that it's going to be a six-man rotation? We'll reassess. Yeah, we, you know, we, you know, we talked about potentially in this stretch looking at a six man, but, um, you know, it makes more sense right now. We'll reevaluate after, you know, how everybody pitches. It's always nice to get a guy, you know, the other starters an extra day as well. It, uh, you know, we had 10 in a row to start the season. We have 17 in a row right now. So not ideal as far as the scheduling goes. Yeah, it is kind of bizarre that we're talking about 17 straight days without a day off. Like, we're not even in, into May yet, and our next day off is May 10th. 
the Monday, May 10th. That's a lot. I mean, at a start of a season, that is a lot. You know, I think the A's were the only team that played 10 in a row to start the season. Then you get a couple days off, and then you're talking 17 straight at the, being, at the beginning of the year. And, you know, when you're going to play that many in a row, it's not going to be all at home or all on the road. So it's like you got to do the traveling and, you know. And think about these guys. If you were a gambler, this would be like a game people would go against you because you had the long flight back from Tampa. I mean, even, even though you're on a private jet, it's still five and a half, six hours, depending on the winds. And then by the time you get back here, you get to your house, you get back into your bed, you wake up, it's like, oh, I got to get to the ballpark. So this is usually a game people think that the home team is going to be a little sluggish. I wonder if they use the same uh, wind, t- the wind uh, reports that the uh, uh, NBC Sports uh, California uses for the games or tell you where the wind, which way the wind's blowing out there. They use that on the planes. But you're right. Now, now Baltimore's coming from the East Coast, too, and they just got done playing a series against the Yankees, which they split. When was the last time you heard someone say, when was the last time you heard them say the Orioles split a series with the Yankees? Not 18 of 19. Not Glaber Day hitting 13 home runs in a series. You, no. you, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I was checking the schedule when we when I was interviewing Ben McDonald, yeah, they, they, they they're dealing with the same thing. They're 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 coming from New York, so they're it's not. I don't know the difference, but it's probably by like a half hour. I mean, it's not it's not. Yeah. I mean, New York back to California is that's the that's the last flight I was on. New York back to California. And then you got to get, you know, you get in late. Now you got to get on the bus. Now you got to go to the hotel. Now you're sleeping in a hotel. I know it's a nice hotel, but it's a hotel. I mean, it, both these teams, it's a tough travel schedule. Yeah, now back, I wanted to bring this up with Mike Fires. Someone back and look to see how good the team, their win loss record when it comes to him on the mound. And his starts since he came to the A's, they're 38 and 16. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's uh that's uh, twenty two games uh, over five hundred when Mike Fires starts games. He was four and one and with a one ninety three and ERA and five starts career versus the Orioles. His last start came in twenty nineteen, so a different Orioles team. But he won five or more innings nine times last year, and the A's were seven and two in those games. So you're talking about a guy that we talk about just get to the fifth inning, and it, you know your odds of winning will go up. When you get to the sixth inning, it goes up even more. If I've been tracking that, so he's done it nine times last year, and the A's were seven and two in those games. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I know that there, there's been periods where people want to act like, you know, well, Mike Fires, you know, because he's not he's not out there throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour. But he, he pitches. I mean, all Mike Fires has done since he's got to Oakland is win ball games. And he's been a guy that's been that veteran presence for some of these young pitchers. And he's the type of guy that these young pitchers can go to and he can talk to him about, you know, not only life in the big leagues, but life outside the field. Like, you know, some of these guys, you know, they got agents and everything, but they, they, they need help with stuff, finances, and, you know, there's different things that they need help with. And Mike Fires has been in the big leagues now for quite a while. I think he's been a godsend for some of these young guys. And that's the same thing for, like, Yesmero Petit. I was just going to say him because he's probably the – Fires is the guy for the starting pitchers, just like Petit is for the relievers and – you know, I like this matchup tonight. You got two guys that don't throw that hard. You got Fires versus John Means, and yeah, John Means has an incredible cur- uh, changeup. I told you, twelve of his twenty-nine strikeouts this year have come on his changeup, and he has the fourth best spin rate in baseball on his changeup at two thousand two hundred eighty-six 
uh, revolutions per minute. I don't want to bore people with the spin rate, but spin rate's pretty important when you're evaluating pitching anymore. John Means is uh, he's pitching a lot better, and he isn't allowed to hit yet on his curveball, which um, he's the, still trying to develop, and he's 28 years old now, but he's by far the Orioles' best pitcher. But having Mike Fires back, another guy doesn't throw really hard, I'm looking forward to this pitching matchup because tomorrow – Matt Harvey pitches. The Dark Knight. When was the last time you saw Matt Harvey pitch in person? Have you ever? Because he was with the, he was in the National League most of his career, and we didn't see I, him pitch for the Royals. I, I've never I've never seen him pitch in person. So you got the you got the Dark oh, Knight. Wait a minute! Did no? Wait a minute! Did he pitch for the Angels against us? Oh, I forgot. I forgot he was. I forgot he was with the Angels. You mean the former A, Matt Harvey? Remember he was an A. Yeah. <laughs> Triple A. <laughs> I think you know what. I mean, you'd have to check it. I want to say we did see him one time pitch against us as a halo. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now. Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight. Now, when you just track simple numbers, if an A's pitcher goes five innings, the A's are 14 and seven. Last year in 2020, if an A's starter went five innings, they were 30 and 10. Now, if you can get six. Six is like, it's like there's no problem. They're winning this game. In 2020, if the A's got at least six innings, the COVID season, from their starting pitching, they were 20 and one. 20 and one. This year, they're nine and four. But if you can just get to that about like Mike Fires gets you six, it, 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 it is going to be a win. And it's great to start another homestand, too. It's great to be back. At the ballpark, that seemed like a, that seemed like a long. Even though it wasn't, it seemed like a real long road trip. I don't know, going all the way down to Tampa and playing four games, and all those games were close and they were long. They had the, they really had like a playoff feel to them. Oh, I agree. And it was, you know, it's we don't get to see the race play that often, especially on TV. So seeing them play against the A's four times, and you know, I, I can't say I enjoy watching them play at the Trop. But I enjoy watching the Rays play because they're so similar. What was it? The four-game series was decided by five runs. So you got, you know, you, it has its, you know, a lot of people were saying on Twitter and social media they'd love to see an A's, Rays, ALCS. Now, Major League Baseball probably wouldn't like that. For, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't want that. That's a, I mean, it's a tough series to try to win. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, th- because their bullpen is so good, they they can match up with so many different guys. They're a tough out in the postseason. I, I mean, is there anybody that you really if, – if by the time we get to that point, all those teams are battle-hardened. I don't think there's anybody who you're really going to say, I wish we could play those guys. I mean, everybody's going to be good. I would say, yeah, it's like the Twins because they can't win in the postseason. That, yeah, that might be the only one. And uh, I found the Matt Harvey set. He pit, his first start with the Angels was here at the Coliseum on March 29, 2019. Six innings, two runs, three walks, one strikeout. So quality start for Matt Harvey in his first start as a Halo. So I have seen him pitch. Yeah, and he pitched well in that game. Then, uh, well, don't ask me what happened the rest of the year. It wasn't very good. I don't, I don't, I don't remember it, but I was here. Where were you when Matt Harvey pitched for the <laughs> Angels? <laughs> Where were you when he donned a Halo uniform? God, I was watching something the other day, and uh, I can't remember what it was totally about, but it was the Angels. And those old uniforms that they used to have when basic when, when Disney took over, how bad those unis were. Do we have Roxy? Roxy, how are you? Uncle Tony. 
I'm back after a week hiatus. I'm I, I'm <laughs> I, I'm excited. Tomorrow is your first uh, national broadcast. Saturday game of the week. Well, outside yeah, outside of opening day. So I was so stoked, and then we learned that Corbin Burns is ending up on the injured list, or something's going on in Milwaukee. So instead, it'll, it'll be Woodruff against Dustin May tomorrow from Miller Park, and I'll be calling that from the peninsula. You know, whenever I hear a guy being out, the first thing I do is cross my fingers, and I hope it's not going to be, you know, the COVID list. Right. And it's it. I was really excited for COVID, for Corbin Burns because with how well he had pitched to start the year, uh, it's just ridiculous, the numbers. I mean, he was putting up video game numbers, Chris, how well he was pitching. And the movement on his pitches, uh, he's got – I don't know, have you seen – the pitching ninja, and he breaks down one of Corbin Burns' sinkers. You, you it's mean, insane. You, you mean friend of the program, Rod Friedman, the pitching ninja? Yes. He has a breakdown of a sinker. The movement on the pitch from Burns is insane. Insane. And the, uh, look what he did so far in the month of April, right? A one five three ERA. No walks. Opponents are hitting just 152 against him. His K rate is over 45%. And just steamrolling along, and then he goes on the injured list without an injury designation. So you're wondering, okay, what the heck is going on? So uh, this series is going to be in Milwaukee. I've been to Green Bay, but I haven't been to Milwaukee. But a lot of people say it's a sneaky good town. I I like Milwaukee. I I like to... Uh, gosh, I was there a couple of years ago. I think the last time I had a Labor Day game, I want to say I had the Dodgers, oddly enough. Um, and the, no, it was the Astros, I want to say, and the Brewers. It might have been. Yeah, because it was the day after Verlander threw his no-hitter in Toronto, and I interviewed Justin pregame the next day. Um, I like Miller Park. I mean, I had, I'm not a big fan of the retractable roof stadiums, to be honest with you. I mean, Houston, I get it. We need it. Miami, you need it. Uh, Seattle. Yeah. I mean, well, Seattle's is kind of because it's even though it, the roof moves above the field, there's still some open space. So uh, what is it? T-Mobile Park now. Sorry, not Safeco anymore. It's a little bit different. You need it in Phoenix because it just gets so dang hot in the summer. But uh, Miller Park was done pretty well, to be honest with you. And they have the, you know, they can do what safe, or Safeco, there I go again. Seattle does in terms of they can open those panels out in the outfield. You can have the roof overhead, but you can leave the space out there. Miller Park is is a very well done ballpark. Good good work ballpark for us. Uh, they got the bratwurst there in the press box. Oh, nice, nice soft serve. So <laughs> as well, yeah, I, I do I do like working in Miller Park. How how many brats can you put down in a three game series? Oh. Well, then are you eating the pregame meal on top of going with the brats in the middle innings? Oh, I might not go pregame meal. I might just be brats. Oh, then – and they got a few different sausages usually in the dining room to choose from. Not just the brats, but, of course, you're in your Wisconsin. you got to do that. But, oh, they, they take care of you there. Miller Park, good ballpark, good ballpark. All right, something that uh, Commander noticed when we got our MLB Network notes today – on the, okay. f- on the front page, it says, final day of April has arrived. 
What a first month of the season it has been. And it just lists things like Padres, 1-4-7 from the Dodgers, Jacob DeGrom, Shane Bieber with all the strikeouts, Joe Musgrove with the no-hitter, Shohei Otani is wowing everybody with his power and his velocity. Um, A's won 13 in a row. It's like no one even knows the A's won 13 in a row nationally. Hey, are you surprised? I mean, is this, is this earth-shattering news to you? I, I, I've been going off on it lately. I'm like, why did – how do we not pay – and I and I bring it back to football, Roxy. Okay. Fo- football understands how to promote its teams, right? And a great example is you, you look at Kansas City. The, Royal, the Royals are looking at a small market. Chiefs aren't. Pirates are small market. Steelers aren't. Uh, Marlins are small market. Dolphins aren't small. I mean, it's amazing to me how you got all these baseball teams that just the, – the, the sport hasn't figured out how to showcase the entire league. Was the MLB – were they pointing to Corbin Burns also and what he did for April? I'm just curious. No, he wasn't on there. So, again, here's a neglected story, right? The A's 13 in a row and the streak after the 0-6 start – and are now, what, 16-10 and 10 going into the game tonight against the O's. Of course, it just goes by the wayside. It's, uh, for whatever reason, we just get slided out here. And I, I, I don't have an answer for it. Um, I know people are paying attention to it. The baseball people are. But you, you look at that, and then just, you know, to, to, is it because Burns lost a couple games in April? That's why they don't talk about him. Corbin Burns, the St. Mary's Gale, by the way, 29 and a third innings, 49 strikeouts and no walks. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the no walks. Think about that. You know, I don't think I'm impressed anymore by strikeouts, but I'm impressed by no walks. No walks, 49 punchouts, allowing 16 hits in 29 and a third innings. He's got a whip, Chris, of .55. Wow. He's, he's averaging 15 strikeouts per nine innings. Think about that. And then, <laughs> so the A's aren't getting talked about. Corbin Burns isn't getting the love. And I, I just, I don't get it. I really don't. Wait, Cody, get, get on here. What do you want me to ask him? Roxy, I was going to wait for this till the end, but I figured, you know, with the NFL draft and you being, a, you know, calling a lot of college football games, how many Trey Lance games have you have you called in your career? Roxy uh, is so, a, a grand total of zero. Yeah, Ro- Roxy's big time. He's not going to North Dakota State. <laughs> I, I, we're not dropping down to the FCS there, <laughs> Commander Cody. You're telling me that nothing sounds better than North Dakota State, North Dakota State football from the peninsula. I mean, that that sounds uh, like a ringing endorsement right there. Well, it, uh, the, the commute is good if I'm doing it from the peninsula. Yeah. I uh, I can't even get I can't even get him to do a San Jose State game. You think he's going to do North Dakota State? Hey, I was in the building for two San Jose State games last year. Just saying, Uncle Town, I didn't see you there. We're we're a football we're, we're a football power. You are a football power now. I cannot wait for this. I got my season tickets back. I'm ready to rock. Oh, and your your football coach, but it's just sent me some swag. By the way, it's supposed to get here any day. Just rubbing it into you. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, when you look at what the A's have been able to do, Roxy, from a standpoint of being 0-6, getting off the deck. You know, I thought that series this over the weekend was like a playoff series. You got two teams, well-managed. They both got talent. Their bullpens, I mean, I was looking at the A's. The A's bullpen has a 1.80 ERA over the last 15 games. Starters have been fantastic. 
I mean, what did you think about the series over the weekend against the Rays? That was good baseball. It, it just was, right? And, you know, Tampa Bay came into the series, and you're going, okay, they're hovering right around 500. What's going on with the Rays? And after, the, you know, the win, win streak ended on Sunday in Baltimore, but they were 500. And then you, they run their, your, our old buddy Rich Hill out there in game one. But then some of the arms we saw, Michael Waka has had success in St. Louis. Certainly Glass now is among the elite pitchers in the game. When you look at what he's got and the command that he's pitching with right now and the velocity and the movement. And then how about McClanahan yesterday oh. in his first regular season outing? We, we'd seen him briefly in the postseason, but his stuff was insane yesterday. I mean, the movement on some of his pitches, like on his four seam, it was – he was doing stuff with the baseball like baseball's not supposed to do, right? And at the velocity, when what did he, what did he hit, 101 yesterday? Uh, oh, my goodness. I mean, this – he – if he can harness that and command it, the second time through, the A started kind of getting to him a little bit. But when he figures it out, my goodness, the, the potential that he has, he's filthy, Chris. I mean, McClanahan can bring it. And with the movement on his fastball, it wow. I was, I was impressed to see him pitch yesterday. That slider that he could pinpoint, and it was so tight. Yeah, on, <laughs> in, in on right-handers. You know, I always joke around when I play golf and I hit a good shot, I always go, you can't teach that. What, what, he, what he was doing yesterday with the velocity and that slider into right-handers, that's not something you can teach. That's just that, no. that, that's God-given ability. It's unreal. And it is. And, look, there's a reason why they took him in the first round, and the A's got to see it yesterday. I'm just amazed. Now, granted, we had an abbreviated season last year. But it took him this long to make his regular season debut. I mean, I know he's only 24, but it's like, where where have they been hiding this dude, right? (laughs) And it just seems like they're able to develop one pitcher after the next. Now, granted, they made some trades to acquire some guys. Um, Unfortunately, Commander Cody had to see the Pirates involved with some of their former players uh, moving on to the Tampa organization. But it is impressive to watch to see the the arms and the wealth of arms that that Tampa Bay has had over the years and the way they've been able to develop them. Okay, David Price goes. Okay, they get rid of Archer. Big deal. Blake Snell goes. They just got more guys coming, and it's a credit to their their scouting department and the way they're able to develop these pitchers also. Now, I know it's been a long time since they were in the World Series – uh, n- not last year, but the time before when they lost to the Phillies. But you, th- you just think about all those guys that they had, like Carl Crawford, and they had Longoria, and they had all that. It's just uh, they've lost so much talent. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's very similar to what we see here in Oakland. I mean, the ability just to understand that no one's going to be here for their entire career until something changes there, and I, I can't – uh, we talked to a couple of their broadcasters. I can't believe, Roxy, they're, they're really still thinking about, instead of making it happen in Tampa over the bridge, they're really thinking about playing in St. Petersburg and Montreal, which is just crazy. Stupid. You, you can't do that. And the, I don't know if the players' union would stand for that, right? I mean, we know how powerful and strong the players' union is. But to divide home games, look, after I left Miami, remember the Marlins tried to do that? 
no. and play some games in Puerto Rico. It, you just can't do that. And there, there's just no stability for the organization. And the guys are always going to feel like they're on the road. And they, they won't feel comfortable in, in their surroundings. So I know it's being tossed around. You can't – I don't think you can do that. It's not practical to do that. Look, at some point, I hope Montreal gets back into Major League Baseball, and that could be a great baseball town again. And look, some of the teams the Expos had were just dynamic to watch. And you know, the strike back in the, in '94, I think, really killed that organization because that's when they were set to have the best team in baseball. And probably, now granted, it's a crapshoot, but very good chance they were going to win the World Series that year. And then it all was halted. And I don't think Montreal recovered as a football or a baseball town rather from that point forward and it was in 2005 when the expos leave and move to dc and become the nationals but it just it doesn't make sense to me why a team would even entertain doing that and dividing homes between two two cities that are that far apart look if they were to play some home games in orlando that's a little different but you're talking about tampa and and Montreal, just complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Our mutual friend, F.P. Santangelo, former A, yeah, used to play for the Montreal Expos and said it was, it, it was the best town in baseball. Like Montreal, I've never been there, but I guess Montreal is beautiful, vibrant. It's like one of the best places to play. I, I've been there for hockey, and which, of course, hockey is a religion there. And you go to a Canadians game, and it's just unbelievable. Um, so I, I get what he's saying and I could see it. Look, when I, when I worked in Miami, my partner was Dave Van Horn, the hall of famer, who was the first ever voice in the history of the Expos and stayed in Montreal until the early two thousands when he moved down to Miami and went to the Marlins when he saw the handwriting on the wall. Dave was smart to make that move. And he's still working for the Marlins today, but he talks glowingly about his experiences and, in time in Montreal and, and just, it wasn't just the city of Montreal. Yes. The blue Jays came in later, but the whole country of Canada got behind the Expos and the blue Jays, especially when the teams were good and were headed to the postseason. And I would love to see Montreal come back again and maybe they get, they get an expansion team and, and we'll see how this plays out over the next few years. But I think they made a statement when they've had some exhibition games there in recent years and some of the big crowds they've drawn to Olympic Stadium. All right, let's end on this. Coming up next is Ben McDonald. And when we were in high school, he was a big deal. I mean, I remember watching him in the College World Series. He won Olympic gold. He was the number one overall pick. I think guys like him and Will Clark were these, like, 80s college baseball stars because of ESPN and the College World Series. How about that Mississippi State team that, that Will Clark was on? Yeah. It was him, Rafael Palmero, Jeff Brantley, and Bobby Figpen all on the same team. And didn't, Isn't that crazy? And didn't win it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You, oh, you didn't even ask me about the world record I saw last week, last Friday, what? when I was in Tucson. What? What, was the, what, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. Gronk set a world record when we were in Tucson last night around the Arizona spring football game. So, so on Friday afternoon, Gronk is out there with the team and they were attempting to catch a football from the highest altitude it's ever been dropped. 
So a helicopter flew above the football stadium in Tucson, Arizona Stadium, and hovered over midfield uh, at 600 feet high. So they had somebody in the chopper with some footballs, dropped a football, and Gronk set a world record by catching a football from the highest altitude at 600 feet. He caught a football that was dropped out of a helicopter. Day or nighttime? Day. It was late in the day. It was right around this time, actually, last Friday. And, and there, if you go to social media and Twitter and you go check it out, the, the team was watching all the, the current team at the University of Arizona with their new coaching staff. They made a big splash for their spring game. They brought Teddy Bruschi back. Um, it was just a whole big party. It was essentially Gronk's party. Uh, and then we were all invited to it. But from 600 feet above, now he didn't catch it on the first try. And, but on the third try, he got closer and closer, then he caught it. From 600 feet, the, heli- the helicopter dropping the football and Gronk caught it at midfield. You know, that's no joke because by the time the ball's coming down, you want to talk about breaking your fingers, your hand, uh, yeah. if you take it in the face and break your face. I can't imagine what the velocity is of a football being dropped from that eye. And I think Gronk tweeted out something and, and Bra- told to Tom Brady that I found a new quarterback. This guy can throw it 600 feet. I don't know if, and I don't know if you can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roxy, have a great call tomorrow, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, Chris. Great Roxy Bernstein from ESPN, your Oakland Athletics. At some point, Roxy will be calling some A's games later on this season. Ben McDonald does television for the Baltimore Orioles. Longtime big league pitcher for the Orioles and the Brewers. One of the greatest college baseball players of all time. And he's got stories for days. Here is Ben McDonald. Ben, it is great to catch up with you. How is life treating you? I can't complain. It's, you know, it's baseball season. The fans are back in the stands. Uh, you know, not full capacity yet, but we're moving in that direction. But it's just great to have fans back in the stands again. The college game is, is heating up. We're getting close to playoff time in the college game looking forward to that and of course love coming back and doing Oriole games as well well I think before we get into this series I, I want people to know you were really one of the first with guys like Will Clark who were college baseball stars where we watched you on ESPN I mean you won an Olympic gold medal you won the Golden Spikes award you played in the college world series the number one overall pick but your college career was so amazing when you look back what was it like playing on television that much at LSU well you know it was just different you know and and, and I was drafted like a lot of you know, players like Will Clark out of high school and got drafted by the Braves, but really wanted to go to LSU, man. I wanted to have that college experience and play in front of the home folks. I grew up about 20 minutes from, from LSU, so it was hard to get away and got to play basketball and baseball there. And, of course, ended up being pretty good at baseball and chose that route. But it was fun. I mean, anytime you were on TV back then, which we weren't on TV all the time, but, every, you know, every game in the college game now is on some type of network. You can watch on ESPN Plus or if it's not on one of the linear networks. So, it's changed a lot like everything has, but it was a real treat for us to get out and play, you know, on ESPN and get some national exposure at the time. So it was a lot of fun. And then win a gold medal. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, people always ask me, how does that rank? And I always say it's, it's, it, it is at the top. It's number one, just because, you know, it's a, anytime you get to wear the red, white, and blue and you're, you're, you're out of your own country on foreign soil and you get to compete and it says USA across your chest, man. And I was a big Olympian, like a lot of people were as far as, I loved the Summer Olympics. I wanted to get out, and I watched every time the Summer Olympics came on, and I always wondered 
what would it be like to stand on that platform and have somebody drape a gold medal over your neck? And I tell you what, I get goosebumps just talking about it and got to experience that and got to do that, man. So that was, you know, another plus to going to school at the time because they weren't allowing professionals to play in the Olympics back then as far as baseball went. So I got to have that experience as well, man. And it ranks right there at the top of, of some things I was lucky enough to accomplish. What do you do with the gold medal? You know, I have it at my house. It's matted. It's it, it's with the uniform that I wore, and it's matted. It's just, it's just hanging up at my house, man. And so, uh, you know, with the golden spikes and some other things, and uh, just in my office and try to keep the dust off of it from time to time. But it's fun to look back on it every now and then and, and, and have those memories that were a long time ago. Yeah, no, they're definitely great memories. And, of course, you know, out here in Oakland, we got this series starting up between the Athletics and the Orioles. And, you know, the one guy that uh, was able to get to the A's was John Means. I mean, the start of his year at 2-0 with a 1.50 ERA, what stuff he has. Just talk to us about this left-hander. Well, I mean, if you go back to last year, John Means got a new toy during COVID time, and that toy was Velocity. And it was two or three miles per hour extra velocity. And that toy got him in trouble last year. His first five starts coming out of COVID weren't very good. He got hit all around the field because he changed what he did best. And what he did best back in 2019 was he made the all-star team because of who he was. And Brandon Hyde, the skipper for the Orioles, called him in about the midway point of the season last year and said, Johnny, you got to get back to doing the things that you used to do. You're not a power pitcher. You don't blow balls away by people. You got to get back to pitching. Well, he did that in the last five starts last year. He was really good, and then he pitched to like a two ERA. Well, that's carried over to this year, and he's back throwing with not quite as much velocity, but the command is better. He took a little bit off the fastball. He really commands his fastball. And as you guys know, look, he can throw the fastball in and out, but the changeup is a difference maker for John Means. Like, he can land that changeup just about in any count, in any situation. And he's throwing a few more curveballs this year. His curveball has come around, and that was kind of the next step for him. He's always been fastball changeup heavy. But he's also mixing in a curveball this year, and it's been really good. So, how could, what can you say about John Means? So far this year in 2021, he has been as good as anybody. Well, yeah, and when you got that changeup working, it just makes your fastball that much faster to a hitter. That's right, and, and you know he's got a great difference in between the two. So you always want around a 10 mile per hour difference. And if you watch him tonight, he'll pitch. You know, he'll show you some fours and fives with his fastball, but he'll sit about 93. But that changeup is about 83 miles an hour, so it's the perfect distance. And we talk about. You know, tunneling now, it comes out of the same window. It looks the same as the fastball, but as it travels at 60 feet, 6 inches, it goes down and away from the right-handers, uh, and it's a really special pitch for him. You know, and when, when I think about, you know, the past four games, just how big is it for this group and this core to not get hammered by the Yankees game after game after game and actually split a series with them? Well, it's huge. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the youngest position player groups in baseball. And to go out and have some success against the Yankees and, and split the series was big because the Yankees have hammered on the Orioles. You go back to 2020, 2019, the, the Yankees had a, a giant advantage against the Orioles. And so this, this young team is starting to grow up a little bit. It's still got a long way to go. It's very erratic at the plate, as you know. Uh, Trey Mancini's starting to come around. But anytime they can get some confidence as a young bunch against a team that's built for October, you know, the Yankees are built for a playoff run. They're built for October baseball. When you can come in and split a series against them, it gives you a little bit of confidence. But they'll certainly have their hands full with you guys tonight. I know Oakland's playing well. Bob Melvin, one of my favorite people, he was my first catcher in the big leagues. I thought about him today. Bob Melvin taught me when I was 21 years old, I got called to the big leagues. I never wore a tie in my life. We had to wear a tie. And I thought about him today because I was tying my tie. And it's still the only tie 
I don't know how to tie. Like it's the only way I can tie a tie is what he showed me back in 1989. He saw me struggling, sitting in the corner. He said, you don't know how to tie a tie. I said, Mr. Melvin, I've never put a tie on in my life. He said, come here, kid. And he showed me how to put a tie on and told me how to tie. And I, I still use the same tie knot every time I put a tie on to this, to this day. Well, I will be taping the Bob Melvin show tomorrow. We have him on every single week. I can't wait to ask Bob and, and uh, get an answer to that story. You tell you ask him about it. He'll remember it. it was 1989, and I could not tie a tie. I had no idea how to do so, and he showed me how to do it. And you'll get a kick out of him because I'm sure tie knots have changed a lot in the last 30 years, but <laughs> mine hasn't. It's the same. It's the same tie knot today as it was back in 1989. Oh, that is that that is so classic. I can't wait to ask him about that about that. You know, two years ago when we were because uh, we we normally do this show on the field during batting practice. And Trey Mancini came over and he, he's a great guy. And, you know, coming back from cancer and beating cancer. Just talk about what an inspiration he is. Well, look, you know, if you can't get inspiration from that, you know, it's it, you know, to see a guy in spring training last year that was playing well, then all of a sudden we, you know, I was in camp just helping out a little bit, and all of a sudden Trey was gone. He disappeared. Nobody knew why. And then uh, the news finally came, and it was just heart-wrenching, you know, because it was stage three. And that, as we know, is not a good thing, right? But Trey went home, and, you know, he did his thing, and, and, and he went through the treatments, and we stayed – everybody stayed in touch with Trey along the way. If you know anything about Trey Mancini, he is the fiercest competitor as there is. And there was no doubt – if it was in God's hands, Trey Mancini was going to be back on the baseball field. Well, he's been back, you know, and he put a lot of pressure on himself early. He wanted to do well. And you can understand why. When you go through something like that, I think the first thought is, can I live? Am I going to make it? The second thought is, will I ever get to play baseball again? And if I do, will I ever be the player that I was several years ago, you know, when he hit 35 homers and drove in nearly 100 runs? So all those things went through his head. He got off to a rough start putting pressure on himself. But – you know, Don Long, the hitting coach, has found him down. They've had some talks with him. And, look, he's been really good. You go back to his last seven games, I think he's hitting 385 with a couple of homers and five RBIs. So he's starting to heat up a little bit. He's just a great story, and he's a great guy, too. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, when he got that standing ovation, it, you know, it, it brings tears to your eyes because you know what he's gone through just to get back. And uh, what a special guy. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, all right, let's get into May. But I got, I got to think Cedric Mullins doesn't want to leave April. <laughs> You're right about that. I tell you what, who saw this coming, right? I mean, a young man that uh, hadn't batted just pure lefty since his senior year in high school. He's been a switch hitter in college and all through pro ball. And he finally, you know, come to find out he had thoughts about doing it two years ago and the old regime didn't want him to do it. And finally this past offseason, he said, listen, I'm going to do it. I'm not having much success switch hitting and my right side is not very good. And I'm going to do it. Brandon Hyde gave him all his bats as many as he could against left-handed pitchers and pitchers in spring training. And nobody, and I mean, nobody thought that he would have the success he's had lefty on lefty. I think he's batting over 400, but look, he's a hard worker and he put a ton of work in and he's a great story. I mean, you go back two years ago, he was given the job in center field, opening day center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles and just stunk it up. And not only did he get sent to triple A, he went all the way down to double A and got his stroke back. And he came back last year, same results early, got sent down again. And he came back again. So there's no scar tissue with this kid. Like, he just forgets it. He moves on. He gets better. And he's gotten better. And you talk about exciting to watch. He's been the spark plug at the top of this lineup for the Orioles. And he's a lot of fun to watch. If there was an all-star selection today, I'm pretty sure he'd be an all-star right now. Looking back in your career, how did you like pitching in Oakland? 
I liked it. I always liked pitching in Oakland. I always thought it was a fair ballpark, uh, especially compared to Camden Yards, where the ball just absolutely jumps out. I love the foul ground, right? Extra foul ground. And so I always felt like that uh, I had a pretty good shot there, you know. Now, those days in the early 90s, you know, when you had uh, going up against Conseco and McGuire and uh, all the boys and Gallego and Corny Lansford and Steinbach and, and others, it wasn't a, a, a fun lineup to pitch to, I'm going to be honest with you. But it, it was a good, fair ballpark to pitch. So I always loved coming out to the West Coast. I always thought the weather was great. Anaheim was great, the weather. And it's, the King Dome, I, I could have done without the King, the King Dome. I, I thought that was a pretty place. But uh, other than that, I love being out in Oakland and uh, over in Anaheim. How about that story that came out in The Athletic that talked about Cal Ripken calling your pitches from shortstop? How true was that yeah. story? It's 100% true. And I think it was my first year in 1990 in the big leagues, and Chris Hoyles was a young catcher. He was just a couple years older than me, and he had just gotten called up. And you got to remember, I never called one of my pitches in college. My head coach, Skip Bergman, called every pitch I ever threw. And that's a fault of mine for not trying to think along with him. But all of a sudden – I'd get out of college in 89. I'm in the big leagues in 89 trying to call my own game, and I had not a clue. And we were in there after a game in 1990, and, and Ripken walked in the room. Me and Hoyles were just trying to – bumping our heads together, just trying to figure some stuff out after a ball game. And he, he walked in, and he said, you guys don't don't really have a clue of what you're doing. And I looked up at him and I said, no, Mr. Ripken, I do not have a clue at all of what I'm doing. He said, well, I can tell. And he said, well, here's the deal. I'll be glad to help you guys out, but it's going to stay in our triangle right here. Only me, you, and Chris Hoyles is going to know about this. This is the only way I'm going to do it. And I said, yes, sir. And so sure enough, I'm looking at home plate, and I'm looking to get the sign from Chris Hoyles, and I'm looking at his eyes, and his eyes are going over my right shoulder because he's waiting for Cal Ripken to hold his glove a certain way and maybe touch something on his chest to say what pitch it's going to be in what location. And all of a sudden, the right finger in the location would go down. This went on for about 25 starts. And after every game, me and Chris and Cal would sit down with a couple of adult beverages and we would talk about the game and why he wanted to pitch this guy in this situation. And that was my learning curve. That's how I learned to pitch the big league hitters. And Cal always made a big point to me. He said, listen, you're not going to pitch Paul Molitor the same way with two out and nobody on that you're going to pitch Paul Molitor with two out and runners on second and third. Is you want to pitch him a totally different way. And that never really touched base with me until I started figuring out, you're right, if you pitch a big league hitter the same way every time, He's going to make some adjustments. So I got to where I pitched certain guys' situations. It was a situational pitching, right? And then when it really mattered, I'd pitch him a little bit different way. And that's something I learned from Cal. And, of course, Rick Sutcliffe came along a couple years later, and I could relate to him being six foot seven and big and like tall like me. And so that was the two guys that probably was most influential in my, in my professional career, for sure. Now, was Cal good at it? He was very good at it. As you know, Cal wasn't the fastest guy. But there were so many times before we even had a shift that we see today that I'd hit a ground ball would go by me to my right side. I'd go, crap, that's a base hit. I'd turn around and Junior's just standing right there and he's catching it right between his legs and slipping over the first base. I always used to say, how could you be right there in that situation? He said, you just keep hitting your spots and I'm going to be in the right place. So Junior knew the hitters as well as anybody. He was a student of the game. And so he knew the tendencies of every hitter, what they like to do and how they were swinging in certain situations and he made a big difference on shortstop uh, not only for me but for, for everyone to play uh, with him let's end on this with all the analytics now for pitching and the technology with the rap soto and you know all the cameras and spin rates and everything how do you how do you think you would have been with all of this technology back if you would have had that in your career wow there's a lot of info out there and to me it can cloud the mind a little bit but what i do like 
I do like the spin rates. In other words, if I, I threw a two-seam fastball and a four-seam fastball, and the analytics would be able to tell me if the two-seamer wasn't any good like it is for some guys, they would, they would say, let, let, let's just scrap the two-seamer. Let's throw all four-seamers, you know, because we were taught the best pitch in baseball was a good four-seamer or a two-seamer down at the knees, right? That was always – that's not the case anymore. You can get some guys out up in the zone, and for a guy like me that had a, a plus fastball, it had been interesting to see, you know, what the analytics said about the spin rates of my fastball, my two-seamer. I think, you know, it's old school to new school. It's new school that we have more information, but it's old school the fact that if you go tell me and you say, Ben, you can have success in X, Y, and Z, I still, from a mechanic standpoint, still got to get the ball to X, Y, and Z. And that's where the old school still comes in. Mechanics are still very important, but now we have more data to show you where you can have success. And I like that part of it. Well, hey, it was great catching up with you. Enjoy the series. Have a good call on television. And let's do this again soon. I look forward to it. Take care of yourself. Good luck to you guys. You you, you know who uh, was with the Olympic baseball team in 1988 in Seoul, Korea? Let's see. I, was, I wasn't even born yet. but uh... You know this person. I do? Yes. Like, personally know them? He's down the hall. Well, I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. Oh, Ray Fossey. No, Ray oh. Fossey was not in Seoul, Korea with I, I don't know. He could have been a coach or something. You're, you're getting warm. All right. Uh, wasn't him. Uh, down the hall. Uh, for the A's or the Orioles? For the Athletics. I, I, I'm blanking. Who's down the hall? We only have, like, three people down the hall. But I guess everyone, although that would be would be there. Vince Catronio. Oh, really? Vince Catronio did the play-by-play. That's something I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, see, when you were talking about, I thought you were talking about like an actual like a former player or something. And then I'm thinking like down the hall, I'm like the only guy that on TV that, that would have been there as a player or, co- or a coach or anything could have been Ray. Well, the good that's I and mean, that's what that was young Vince Catronio. Yes. Next time we have Vince on, we got we got a because he, he's like it was awesome. It was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I've never had that opportunity, obviously, because I, I stunk. But to <laughs> to uh, to represent your country in a for- – they always say this. It's like representing your country in a foreign land. You know, to be – because, you know, there was that great Olympic baseball team in L.A. in 84 that had, you know, McGuire and Will Clark and Corey, Corey Snyder and all those guys that ended up being big leaguers. But they were playing at Dodger Stadium, which – Still really cool representing your country and playing at Dodger Stadium as a college guy. But, like, McGuire played at USC. I mean, you're, you're, he's playing in L.A. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be, like, in South Korea representing the United States of America and to get on that podium and watch the United States flag and the anthem and all of a sudden they're, they're putting gold around your neck. Isn't baseball back in the Olympics this year? Yes, I believe so. So we got the, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics coming up soon and – um, that's cool they're bringing baseball back because what the last when was the last team they had it? I remember Ben Sheets being on that 2000 team with Tommy Lasorda, but it's been a long time. It's been 10 plus years since we had baseball in the Olympics. That's right. Tony Lasorda was the would be the coach of the team, the Hall of Famer. God rest his soul. Yeah, and they won and they won the gold that year. Yeah, and he, I remember t- uh, Tommy. The story was Tommy La, uh, Tommy Lasorda said that he didn't even know anybody on the team. He just came, and he had no idea who any of the guys were. Well, how would he? <laughs> you know old Tommy was at that point? How was he going to know who the heck these Let's guys see, he are? He was, what, nine? So he would have been, like, in his 70s. That's like if Jim Leland went and uh, 
resume coaching Team USA for the uh, World Baseball Classic. Can you imagine being a college kid and in walks Tommy Lasorda? Well, I, mean, I can, but the kids now, they probably have no idea who Tommy Lasorda is. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. Whether you don't know him or not, yeah. when they tell you, oh, by the way, your head coach or whatever – I don't think they called him a manager, but if they called him a manager, uh, the head guy coming in is uh, is a Hall of Famer. He's got a he's got a plaque at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's won a few World Series, you know. Yeah, with the Dodgers. He's managed some of the biggest games in the history of the sport, and that's the guy that's going to lead you to victory. I still think with the the age we are in now, with, with uh, the younger generation, younger than me, they they wouldn't know. I mean, there's guys that don't know uh, who half the guys playing in the league are now. Do you think there's kids in who Michael Jordan is? Probably not. But uh, that was 2000 uh, in Sydney. Yeah. There, I mean, there, I remember during, during the uh, the Last Dance documentary ESPN did, kids like, were like, I don't know who Michael Jordan is. That is, is that the guy from that meme? The crying Jordan? Like, no. Yeah, are there, you serious? Ki- I mean, kids that are like, you know, that are like early 20s and stuff. Now, Jordan wasn't even playing. If he was, he was like, in, he was a wizard. It wasn't a Chicago Bull. <laughs> he was a Washington wizard. I mean, but seriously, I never watched Wilt Chamberlain play, and I know who Wilt Chamberlain is. Well, I mean, I mean how do you not know who Michael Jordan is? Yeah, well, there he was literally the most reckon. At one point, Michael Jordan was the most recognizable face on planet Earth. How do you not know that? Like, like, how do you not? You don't know who Muhammad Ali is if you're 20 years old. Look, look at it this way too. It's like think of kids that are what they've that have grown up watching golf. Or they or they start watching off. They probably never saw Tiger Woods in his heyday. But with the last, yeah, but you know who Tiger Woods. Yeah, is. I mean, like the last, major and you know who Jack Nicholas is. Well, I mean, I do. I'm, again, if you're asking younger kids, they probably have no idea. Who oh, they is. gotta know. If you don't know about his, well, that is your generation and you, Gen Z. That's not me. That's the whole Gen world, Z. Well, who's Ken, who, Ken Griffey Jr.? Never heard of him. Yeah, is that that guy that played for the Mariners? I know a Rod. Oh God. Can you imagine that? I I only know Alex Rodriguez. You, that's the guy you know. Out of all the great Mariners, Randy Johnson, uh, Edgar Martinez, Brett Boone, Ichiro. I, I know a friend of the program, Harold Reynolds. Harold, yeah, Harold Reynolds. The only guy you can think of is Ichiro. Speaking of the Mariners, real quick, do you know who their closer is right now? No, friend of the program, Kendall Graveman. And he's oh, been, that's right. Yeah. He's pitching really well for them. He has three saves, no runs allowed. What you, you know what? When you looked at Kendall Graveman's stuff, I always said this. His stuff, the problem for him as a starter, now I haven't pit, seen him pitch this year, but every so he would throw the fastball, and he would have that breaking ball. Everything ended in the same spot, either outside or inside. He never pitched up in the zone, never pitched outside. Not everything was down and in or down and away. And my whole, now I couldn't hit it, but if I was a really good hitter, I mean, essentially, I would I would look for one part of the play. He's either going to be down and in or down and away. And, of course, if you're looking down and in and you get it in but it's not too down, guys would just rack him. Yeah. And I, I'd always be like, his stuff is so good. I remember talking to Scott Emerson about this. Well, now if you're only doing it for three outs, and I got that, you know, because remember his velocity came back where he's throwing mid-90s and he's sinking it and he's, you know, he's sinking it in on you or away from you if you're a lefty, and then he's got that cutter that's away from you or in on you if you're a lefty, I can see why. And I could also see why a couple times through the batting order he had trouble with that. Well, if your stuff's good enough, and, you know, that's how we talk all the time, Cody, about how certain pitchers, 
Well, you know, and you've mentioned this, like when you've said, hey, I, you know, A.J. Puck, if he can't start, why not out of the bullpen, right? Like at some point, one of these starters down in L.A., unless there's a trade made, I can't remember who told us. Oh, it was the Mad Dog Chris Russo guaranteed us one of the one of their one of their big guns will end up being their closer. Like I could see the guy going. Was it tonight? Is Dustin May going tonight? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Like I could see Ginger Guard at some point, or well, your eyes are probably going to probably keep him in the in the rotation. He'd be really good as a closer, though. Well, we that saw velocity. We, we've already seen what he's done in the World Series. Yeah, and. You're, I could totally see that because Kenley Jansen, uh, I watched them play the Reds the other night, did not look good in that game uh, as well. Now, they are going to need a closer. I could see them either that happening or them going out and getting someone. But I, I, I'd have to look at the market to see what closers are out there. But Kendall Graveman, you talked about his velocity. He's thrown a, that 97-mile-per-hour sinker. It's back. So I'm, I'm glad to see he's closing out games for the Mariners and the Remember the Mariners, how they were starting off, and everyone's talking about how they're in first place and all that? Well, they've really fallen back down to earth, uh, just like they did. Remember when they were 13-2 and two a few years ago? Oh, are, you, are you trying to tell me I, I uh, shouldn't have bought stock in the Seattle Mariners? I don't think this year. I mean, Kyle Lewis is back, but he's hitting like – he's not even hitting his weight. He's, it's great to see Mitch Hanniger back, but, I mean, that start they had, I think, was a, a mirage, kind of like what the, the Pirates have done where they, well, they were – 500 going into today. Or like the Orioles. Or the, well, they're 11-14. That's not bad. I think they're – I think we're <laughs> – if you're on a pace, they're, they're, they're not – you know, they're still rebuilding. You know, their GM even said before the season that it's probably going to be another long year. Well, I mean, that's not – you're not really getting me excited about the season coming up if I'm a fan of the Orioles. Man, the, the Oriole way is dead. All right, coming up next, it's going to be the GM show. David Force will stop by right here on A's Cast Live. <laughs> What was it like growing up next to the macho man, Randy Savage? World Series hero and Rays outfielder Brett Phillips was on A's Cast Live and talked about his former neighbor. Oh, yeah. Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, I, Chris, I didn't get to really appreciate him uh, until he passed away in a meaning like I didn't grow up knowing who Randy Macho Man Savage was. I didn't know how much of a, an icon he was in the wrestling world until he had passed away and I started telling people, oh, that was my neighbor, like we were friends, like we played basketball together. And then people are like, no way, like it got blown up. Everyone like, you know, watched him and said that he was the man and all this. And I was like, holy cow, like I had no clue. But what a great guy, rest in peace to my man Randy. His wife still lives next door to us and just they were just a sweet family. To listen to the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash A's cast. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. A's cast live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. And it's Friday. That means it's time for the David Force Show. Good afternoon, David. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Uh, life is great. Uh, when you got to see Matt Olson today, how's he looking? <laughs> he looked like he'd been in a fight. <sighs> he, and, and he essentially was with a batting cage. So he's, uh, from what I understand, he looks a lot better than he did last night, a lot better than he did this morning. So he's going the right direction, but uh, he's got a he's got an all-time shiner going. Oh, that's so sad because he's been going so good. 
I know. He'd been swinging the bat great. Even even the outs he made in the last couple of days of that Tampa series were 100-plus miles an hour off the bat. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is a shame, but we're hoping it's just hoping it's just a matter of days and, and uh, got to get the swelling out of there. Now, obviously, you want to win the series, but you guys split the series against the Rays. Did you get the sense, like, even though this is really, really early, that it felt like a playoff series? Well, it certainly felt like the, the grind of a playoff series. Yeah, I mean, it, it's April, so so it's hard to put playoffs next to anything. But but you know, anytime, particularly going in that building with all its quirks and everything, you know it's going to be a grind. And, you know, I think Bob said it after the game yesterday, two teams who maybe aren't playing up to their potential offensively, um, but a lot of great pitching on both sides, some good defensive plays. you got guys being thrown out of the plate. Tony Kemp making a diving play in the field to keep guys off the back. So it, it was a, a hard-fought series. I think coming out of there with, uh, with a split on the back end of a road trip, I think we'll take that. Yeah, and I remember early in the series that, that play Stephen Piscotty made out in right field, and I was talking about it after the game going, folks, you don't understand, playing on that turf and diving like that, he's going to have the old rug burns, but he, he sold out and he saved you some runs. So defense was really good. It was. It really was. And, and playing on that turf is tough. I, I don't know how the Rays do it 80-plus times a year because anytime we go in there, I mean, you saw the lineups. You know, got to get Ramon a day off his feet, get Chappie a day off. Elvis got a day. Like, it's it's hard playing on that turf. And, and luckily, that's really the only ballpark where we have to worry about it. But, it's uh, yeah, it's a grind, like I said. Yeah, and then, you know, having a couple of their broadcasters on, they're, they're still full go on that two-city – playing at home in two cities, playing in Tampa and Montreal. I can't even imagine what that would be like. It'd be like the majority of your season's like on the road. Yeah, good, good luck to them if they end up doing that. It doesn't doesn't sound like a lot of fun. They, they may want to check in with Toronto right now who's playing all their games in Florida, see how much they're enjoying it. When you talk to the Blue Jay people, the fact that they have not been able to play in Canada now for two years, if you've talked to them, what do they say? Yeah, it's. I think it's just bizarre for them. I mean, obviously the people who work for the club live live in Canada. They spent so much time. You know, they were in Buffalo. Now they're in Florida. Like it. It's just a. It's almost like a, a vagabond lifestyle. They they just haven't been home at all. Especially during these times, it it is hard to imagine. So I, I don't know what the long term plan is if they're going to be able to get back to Canada at some point this season. But uh, it's not ideal. Yeah, speaking of these times, and minor league baseball is going to be starting up soon. You know, with COVID still out there, what is the plan on protecting these minor leaguers? I mean, obviously their travel is different than the big league club. It is, it is. And and everywhere other than uh, AAA, really, you don't have a ton of, you don't have flights. You don't have flights in A-ball. Double-A flies very rarely, and uh, maybe not even at all now with the new setup. I'm not sure, but... Uh, you know, AAA is going to have pretty much the same protocols we have here. They're going to get tested every other day like our guys do, and we're going to do our best to to keep them as safe as we do the guys here. Uh, everywhere else, they're traveling by bus. They're not on planes, and they're going to get tested uh, at least twice a week. Um, and, and we'll ask them just to be careful. I mean, I thought our guys did a great job getting through minor league camp without any issues. Um, the players deserve a lot of credit. Nate Brooks and Zach Bash down there running minor league camp did an outstanding job of, of getting us through and 
Um, I mean, that's one of the more exciting things we've got going right now is that we're going to get minor league teams out there to play starting next week, and we have not seen that in about 18 months. Yeah, I feel so bad for these kids, you know, losing this much time in their professional career. I just hope, you know, cross my fingers that these kids, you know, because you only get one shot, and uh, I hope they're going to get back out there. Speaking of the alternate site, how good has it been that you at least get to play the Giants guys? And it's just not playing yourself over and over again. You, you get to play some fresh meat. I think it's been really nice for those guys. And I feel like particularly the pitcher is going against another team, guys getting some, you know, some game reps. And, and just to see, you know, we get, our, we get our game reports every day. They play a game and see a, a minor league style report. Like they're they're actually getting some development time and and really getting ready for the season the, the way they would have in minor league camp. So uh, it's it's been great to set it up that way. It's worked out nicely. Obviously that Stockton and Sacramento are so close to each other, but at the same time I know those guys are looking forward to getting on that plane to Vegas and uh, get in front of a crowd and and getting inside a real AAA ballpark. You know you got Mike Fires going tonight, which you know during 17 straight games. I mean, it's just, it's brutal for all of us, but just talk about how the luxury and the depth you have right now, knock on wood, with being able to throw Mike Fires out there, who is 26-9 and nine in his career with the A's, 14-5 and five as an A at the Coliseum. Yeah, I, I will definitely knock on wood, if you don't mind, because we have six healthy starters right now, and that's that is a nice luxury. It's not uh, not all the time you get through the first month of the season with your starters healthy. But um, yeah, it, look, it worked out perfectly to get you know get Mike back during the road trip, find a spot for him to get a start and give everybody a day. And um, you know, I think Bob said the other day, we're, this is going to be fluid. I think this is a good spot to get guys a blow. We'll see how Mike does tonight. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing to have everybody pitching so well that you don't want to take anyone out of the rotation. So I think I think we'll manage it. Emo's got some ideas about um, you know where to where to fit guys in, maybe using some guys out of the pen. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it, but the the reality is when you've got everybody healthy and pitching well, uh, you got to find a way to make it work. Have you ever thought early early in the season of going to a six man rotation? We, we've talked about it. It's, it's not ideal for anyone, really. I mean, again, an extra day here and there, I think, serves guys well. But these guys, you know, particularly guys like Bassett and, and Montes who've been in the rotation for a while, they're, they're sort of geared towards pitching every fifth day. They've got that routine. Um, and, and you, you know, guys are pitching well enough, you want them out there every five days. So it, it works when you have a long stretch of games. But you look at our schedule after this homestand, you know, we're going to get some days off and we're not going to need it. So, look, something always happens and, and something will make the decision for us. But in the meantime, I like the idea of getting Mike out there, particularly in this ballpark at night uh, where some of those fly balls die in outfielders' gloves. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him tonight. And, you know, your bullpen, you know, a 2.35 ERA over – well, actually, it's a 1.80 ERA – uh, over the last 15 games, just talk about just how locked down your guys have been. Yeah, it's been a it's been kind of a an anonymous group a little bit, but um, but everybody out there's pulling their weight, and, and obviously you know what Lou and Jake have done at the end of the game, um, but we've also seen we've seen Petit do Petit things. I mean, coming in two innings the other day in Tampa to shut that thing down in the sixth and seventh inning was huge. Uh, you know, Guerra's pitched some quality innings. Goudouin got back out there to throw 
throw some gas. And, and Sergio got a big out when he came in the game the other day. So I think Bob's done a nice job of making, you know, making sure everybody gets enough work, but we're, we're trying not to overwork guys. I know JB has gotten in there a lot. Um, and, and he's a guy we're, we're keeping an eye on. But, yeah, they've really, really done a nice job behind the starters. You know, I don't know if I've asked you this question, but I got a theory on Yasmero Petit. I got a theory on this. Um, <laughs> okay. All right, so I know he's got pinpoint control. But the thing is, all these hitters now are so used to gearing up for 100, 98, at least 95-plus, day in and day out. Then all of a sudden you put a guy out there who's not throwing 90 miles an hour and flipping that breaking ball. They're just not this this the, the modern day hitter is just not used to seeing slow velocity from a right-handed pitcher and it, and it messes with their timing. Would you buy that? I think there's something to it. I think there's a mindset of just there's no way to be patient enough at times. I think you're right. These guys are geared up so much to hit velocity and and god knows we saw our share of it on this road trip um just the last two days alone they're so geared up for velocity as much as you tell them when a guy comes like petite comes in hey you got to be patient you got to wait you got to hit the ball the other way it's hard there's there's not a lot of muscle memory i mean you know another example on on this team we're facing tonight cesar valdez is closing for them throwing 85% change-ups. And, and I know he gave one up yesterday to the Yankees, but he's had some success this year, essentially throwing 80 miles an hour. Um, so we always, you know, you and I always heard this term below hitting speed and um, and what, but but ultimately what Yusmero does is, like you said, because of the command. I mean, I, I don't know that we've ever had anybody who puts the ball where he wants it as consistently as UC does. And it's it's pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, that's something we haven't seen in years where a guy's main pitch coming into close, like Trevor Hoffman at the end of his career, is it's going to be a changeup over and over and over again. I mean, now all we see is it's it's all, as Vince Catronio says, high octane. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we see a lot of it. But, yeah, I mean, man, Valdez, you watch him. You watch him go out there. And when, you know, we had him for a brief stint here, but uh, he's really he's really going to that changeup quite a bit. So we'll see if we get a chance to see him this series. You know, I was uh, I was thinking about somebody, David, yesterday in the game when Ramon Laureano basically try, is going to steal, gets picked off and thrown out at third when he's in scoring position with Jed Lowry uh, 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 at the plate. Who do you think I was thinking of? Probably, probably uh, Mr. Bean was on your mind. No, I was thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I was thinking about I was thinking about Billy and thinking if he was he was having the same reaction I was. <laughs> yeah, um, we talked about stolen bases, but but you know how do you manage? You know, I, I, you like stolen bases, you don't like caught stolen bases. How do you manage that? Yeah. I think I think you have to understand that that Ramon has an aggressiveness that most of the time serves him very well, whether it's, whether it's in the field, whether it's on the bases, at the plate, uh, you're not going to teach that or coach that out of him. And I don't think you should. Um, and you just kind of have to understand that at times that, that aggressiveness is, is going to land him in a situation like that, for lack of a better word. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough spot. Like you said, you've got Jed at the plate, you've got a chance to uh to make an impact on the game and uh and you just hope you know he learns from it he knows he knows what he did he saw it in his face as soon as it happened so uh guys 
guys have to have some room to to make mistakes. Well, I I love the way he plays. He's got like a football mentality. He's got that toughness, and I think you're right. You would never want him to lose that. For sure, for sure. We we've been the benefactor of it many many times over the past few years. So uh, probably not fair to point out one base running mistake. Let's end on this. What's your biggest surprise since we're a month in? What's your biggest surprise about this team? Um, God, the, maybe the fact that I, I'm not really sure w- what we are yet. I mean, uh, we, we were bad for six games. We were great for 13 games. Now we're sort of grinding it out here every night. And I mean, it, it's to be expected in April. I don't think anybody has a feel for what they are in April. Um, but I've been really impressed with the way our guys have battled and, and bounced back in nights when we're not swinging the bat well or nights when, you know, the starting pitcher doesn't have it. We, we pick each other up. And I think it's this team is uh, – I think this team learned a lot from those first six games. I mean, you, you hear it and see it in the comments of some of them who look back on that. And, and this has always been a place where there's turnover on the roster and maybe it takes a couple months to – for guys to gel and get together and and we're always known as a second half team because of that but maybe those first six days did kind of jumpstart that process a little bit and and it's nice to see this feels like a team that that knows knows each other and and knows how to pick each other up when will you think you'll know or when does it usually happen where you start saying okay this is who we are and this is where we need help and that's when you start calling around and looking to find somebody to help the club yeah, I, I don't know that we ever actually know, but we have to make a decision by July 31st. I know that. So that's always that's always the timeline that we look at. Is um, we have up until that time to uh, to manipulate and make changes with the roster. But I, I don't know. I mean, you, there are years where you, you go all year with with thinking you you know something about a team, and then they surprise you. Or um, so it's it's kind of one of the fun parts of this is you, you you learn new things every night you see different things and um it's always changing on you well great stuff as always have, have a fun weekend here at the ballpark against the orioles and we'll talk to you next weekend all right chris i'll see you later david force the general manager of your oakland athletics you know probably you know probably for him there's really isn't a surprise about, about I mean, when you build the, this team is now playing like the team you thought you built. Yeah, and, and you're hoping that your bullpen wouldn't lose anything from last year, losing Liam and losing Joaquin Soria and other guys. Their bullpen's been just as good as it was last year. I know it was only 60 games and we're at, what, 26-game mark right now, but their bullpen's been solid for them. And, you know, you don't really have a true defined closer, I guess, per se. They're going to do the matchups, like they you, said, with Deekman and – You don't see Lou as the closer? Well, I mean, they're doing matchups. If, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm one of the biggest Lou, Lou Trevino supporters there are just because of our rivalry. Slash rival. Yeah, my big one of my biggest rivals. Uh, but he's pitching well, and the bullpen has, has played a huge role for them, and they, they've all looked good, and now having fires back. The six-man rotation, I thought, not just for them, but for a lot of teams in baseball, she was going to have to – coming to a part for a lot of teams because of the whole idea of we didn't know how many guys were going to be used this year, what they would look like after the short season. But every, everything we heard, it was either it's going to be that or like what Emo said where I, ne- I haven't seen any data on that where our guys can't still throw 200 innings. So, But the six-man rotation, 17 games in a row, I mean, that, it makes sense. The question is what do you do after? After the 17 games, who, who goes to the bullpen? Because, you know, Cole Urban, he pits well again the other day. 
So, I mean, he's probably – I mean, he has to be a surprise, right? He's refreshing. I got to tell you, watching him pitch, you know, going back here in the Bible, what was it here? Was he in the third game? Yeah, he was in the third game of that series. Six innings, two runs, one walk, eight strikeouts, career high. I'll take that all day. I mean, it's hard to believe he lost. Well, the team got shut out to zip, and you got Tyler Glasnow <laughs> out there just blowing smoke. But, I mean, he fills up the strike zone. He's not walking anybody. I mean, that, that, that young pitchers, that is a way for success. That's a great blueprint. Don't walk anybody. Let your defense work behind you. You got the best gloves in the world behind you. You got great outfielders behind you. Throw quality strikes. You throw quality strikes, you're gonna have to you're gonna have a chance to win. And yes, Cody, an actual win. Well, uh well, first of all, let's get Franny on the phone and tell him thank you for uh for Cole Irvin because remember we talked to him and he said he's a great interview and you're getting a good guy and he's been great for the A so far. And uh yeah, yeah, the win, yeah. Um just I saw I saw a stat earlier. I'll bring it to you right now. I wasn't buying it, so I'm just gonna give it to you without even getting to it. What time are we off? Uh about five twenty five five twenty five, so we got about seven minutes. I was looking up something. With J- Wait a minute, five twenty-five. I'm not on till five forty. Yeah. Oh, five forty. Okay. Yeah. So I'm so used to the seven oh seven stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm like, what? So yesterday, or Baseball Reference today, put out a tweet looking at Jacob Degrom at his last seventy-five starts. Over that span, Jacob Degrom in seventy-five starts is twenty-four and twenty-one with a one point nine nine ERA. That is the lowest winning percentage. For any starting pitcher in a 75-game span with a sub-2 ERA, and it will be history. Just ahead of Walter Johnson. Uh, well, he liked was the whole list. Over that span, I checked. The Mets scored zero or one run for DeGrom 19 times. In those 19 games, the most runs he allowed was three. He struck out 10 or more eight different times in that 75. In that those games where they he only gave up zero or one run. You know who? You, you, you know, and I did this. Uh, I think this was my third inning hit yesterday. You know who's on the phone right now? I know. Tommy John. Yeah, Tommy John. 188 no decisions. What, what does my buying or selling question say? Jacob Durant is a modern-day Tommy John. Yes, <laughs> it's fact. But, but but that's the thing. It's like it's an anomaly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate. Yeah, though. I mean, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I mean, it's – but for most, for most guys, it's not that way. It just it just sucks that he's on a team that when he pitches they don't score any runs. Well, they're losing right now too with Marcus Stroman on the mound. They're losing two nothing to the to the the Phillies. Who I, I thought not to go on a, a tangent about the Phillies. I thought they'd be better this year. Still early. Bryce Harper is not playing tonight. You, you bought into Kevin Franzen and his Phillies. Uh, I I thought Sam Fold, former A, now GM of the Phillies, and uh, and everything they're doing with Dave Dombrowski, they were going to start playing better. I don't think Real Muto is playing tonight either, but. Yeah, the whole Degrom thing is just—it's you got. I mean, he is the modern day Tommy John. And, and and you, and all the other guys who are picking the divisions. I mean, how many how many of the national guys came on came on this program? Oh, the National League East—that is going to be brutal. That's going to be that—that's the best division in baseball. All these East Coast guys selling us on the Yankees, selling us on the NL East. The NL East, as of right now, stinks. No teams over 500. So the, the Braves and the Phillies are 12 and 13. The Mets are 9 and 10. The COVID Marlins are 11 and 13. 
and the Washington Nationals are 9-12. and 12. The Marlins are the only team with a, a positive run differential. Think about that. The Marlins are the only team with a positive run differential. The Braves have all those offensive players. The Phillies have, you know, Didi Gregorius, who's going to put on the COVID IL. But they have him and Harper and Real Muto and uh, Alec Baum and Reese Hoskins. You got the Nationals who have all the, you know, Juan Soto and all those players. And then the Mets gave uh, Francisco Lindor all the money. He's getting booed every night at City Field. So. Remember when the Mets were going to go to the World Series? Yeah, remember when I said they were going to sign every big free agent? I haven't heard James McCann. James McCann, I haven't heard his name once so far this year. The guy they get $40 million to for four years or whatever it was after he barely even played before this year. $40 million. I haven't heard the guy's name all year. Are we going to do buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, I'll make these quick. So one of the biggest storylines, talking of uh, East Coast teams, is the uh, New York Yankees and their struggles. Key reason for that is uh, besides their starting pitcher, starting pitching, uh, your guy Gary Sanchez just isn't playing that well. In 58 at-bats on the season, Sanchez is hitting a whopping 190 with two home runs. The Sanchino? Yeah, the Sanchino is hitting 190 with two home runs. In 2020, he had 147 in the truncated 60-game season with 10 home runs. But Sanchez denies that he is playing in a slump right now. He just thinks he's not. He's getting closer to finding it. That's uh-huh. 190 batting average is really finding it. The Yankees have given Kyle Higashioka more playing time, and he has double the home run Sanchez has, and he's only played 20. He's only had 29 at bats. Also, Sanchez does not catch Garrett Cole well. Cole has a 3.86 ERA with Sanchez behind the plate. Now Higashioka is now Garrett Cole's primary catcher. Buying or selling Gary Sanchez will not be on the Yankees roster come August 1st. Ooh. Are you going to say they're going to trade him? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, would, I would think so. I don't think they're going to cut him. No, 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 no. You can't. You can't. You don't cut Gary Sanchez. No, I, I, I'm I'm, I'm selling that. Although, could we see reunion? Because you, you know there's going to be times where he's going to hit a couple out in bunches. Oh, yeah. And then everybody falls back in love with him. And then he's this the Sanchino. The, uh, <laughs> that's, I love that call. But uh, Tanner Roark got DFA today. Did he really? Yeah. The wow. Blue Jays. Uh, DFA'd him earlier, so that contract didn't really live up to the expectations. Former A? Former A for half a season. All right, last one. 56 position players pitched in 2019. 28 appeared in 2020. So far this year, we've seen 19, including the very first one that happened in Oakland with Kai Tom, now starting outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates today. We just saw Rizzo over the weekend. Yeah, well, it's one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up. So, so far you have 19 in 2020. If you go back to 20 years to 2001, there were only eight. You go back to 30 to our 30 years to uh, 1991, there were nine. Now, I know we talked about there's going to be 900 relievers potentially being used this season, but my God, I love ABs, especially when Rizzo strikes out Freddie Freeman. But why? Not only that, Freeman, Rizzo came in, struck out Freeman, and then David Ross, Rossi came out, took Rizzo, put him back at first base, and put Matt Duffy in the pitch, another position, position player. They had three pitch in that game, Sogard pitch as well. Buying or selling baseball needs to address the position players pitching in the new CBA. Well, I'm selling. This is a baseball game. Everybody, everybody should be able to play every position. I, I don't. I, that's now that'd be something that I, I wouldn't like. Because let's say tonight, God forbid, knock on wood, the A's are in a stretch of 17 straight games. What if the Orioles just came out a hacking tonight and they put up like. 
15 runs. Are you going to you going to not say, "Hey, uh I don't know. Who would be the guy now?" Uh it's Mark Hanna, so we can see him play reposition. All right, Mark Hanna. Mark Hanna, get, 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 get. you're going to have to get me some outs, baby. You know, maybe maybe, maybe Jed, old school. I was going to say, have Jed take away the DH and he'll have a, a, bat, uh, a pitcher bat. <laughs> I mean, Matt Chapman probably get up there and just blow smoke. Yeah, well, his ball, the balls he throws from third come off at like 114 miles an hour. I'm sure he would. So, I mean, no, I mean, you, you're, it, it's your entire roster. I mean, there, there is not a sport that restricts you saying this guy can't play, that guy can't play. If you wanted to, well, we see it all the time. You have offensive linemen who become eligible, and they yeah. can they can catch a pass. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no there's no. I, I I can take a I can I can take if I wanted to I could take a defensive lineman put him out there in a corner. I mean, I can do whatever I want with my roster. How many years in a row did Mike Vrabel catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl oh. for the Patriots? I mean, come on. So I, I I don't like that saying that you can't utilize your entire roster because you know stuff happens. I mean you may have to go to an emergency catcher. Look, Chad Pender taking ground balls today. I saw that AJ Puck was throwing in the outfield earlier too. I'm, more, I'm happier to see Chad because we mean, don't know what's going to happen with Puck. But Pender, you know, taking ground balls is good. I mean you have to realize the versatility of Chad Pender. He's the he's the emergency catcher. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, gotta have gotta have him back there. So, all right, who are we playing here? Uh, we're gonna do the build with Dave Cavill before you come on at five forty for A's Total Access. We'll see everybody at five forty. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.